Hey, Jacksonville Presbyterian Church, uh, it's me, Pastor Dustin, and uh, we're here for our weekly Bible study. Uh, we're just finishing up uh, in these last few weeks the Lord's Prayer, and uh, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you'll know that I've been suggesting that uh, the Lord's Prayer is uh, not just something to be prayed um, as children, but it's meant to be prayed as all believers, no matter what your age. And even beyond that, I've been suggesting that you take the Lord's Prayer and you try to pray it morning, noon, and night. Uh, Christians uh, literally for thousands of years have used the Lord's Prayer exactly that same way uh, in the morning when they're getting ready at noon and at night. And uh, tonight we're getting to one of the most powerful moments in the Lord's Prayer. But uh, before we dive into what it means for us to pray uh, for the Lord to forgive us our sins, uh, I just needed to do a couple of housewarming things. First off, I need to give a big thank you for my coffee mug tonight to Carl Casebeer. Uh, he gave this to me, and uh, I should probably really thank Sue Casebeer. Because as my wife reminded me, it was probably Carl's wife who really picked out the coffee mug. But maybe it was Carl. Uh, either way, thank you uh, for the case beers for my awesome coffee mug. If you can read it, it uh, says, can I get an amen, y'all? And uh, it has been far too long since I had any audible responses to anything that I have said for months and months. So right now I'm speaking to an empty room. And uh, as many of you know, I'm preaching to an empty room. So cannot wait uh, for you guys to say amen to what I'm saying. And um, I want to believe in my heart that a few of you also just said amen in your homes. Uh, I don't know if you did, but, uh, you know, don't forget that I expect um, some audible responses when I preach and teach. So, uh, you know, can I get an amen, you know? I sure hope so as soon as we get back together, which, as I'm sure you're wondering, when are we going to get back together as a church? Um, you know, welcome to my life every minute of the day. And right now, the answer that we can give is we aren't sure, but we are prepping as a staff and as a ministry team um, and as leaders, we are prepping to be able to gather again in June. And uh, so, um, as some of you know, we have um, several doctors that are members of our church and pretty actively involved. And so, um, I'm staying in touch with them. Uh, I spoke this week uh, with two doctors uh, that I know personally uh, here at our church that have treated COVID patients here in the Valley. Uh, and I've asked them about their thoughts on reopening. I've been in touch uh, with several pastors here, many of which you will know. Um, and we've been talking about reopening plans. And uh, needless to say, there's just a lot that people just don't know. Um, and so uh, in a lot of ways, it's just kind of like we're all on this learning curve together. Uh, but just so you know, the staff, uh, we are all working uh, with the hope and the prayer and the expectation that June is the time that we will be able to meet together in person. And what that looks like, we're not really sure. Yes, we have thought of having church outdoors in the backfield. Yes, we've thought about having it here. We're thinking about multiple services. Um, we are hopeful that phase two uh, will allow up to 100 people at a time on June 7th, but uh, we're not sure if we would jump right out of the gate on June 7th for a couple of reasons, uh, but we're yeah, expecting to be able to do it in June. So um, anyway, uh, if you would, please be praying for me and for all of the elders as we make these really tough decisions, because um, in a lot of ways... Um, it's kind of like a no-win. You know, there's going to be somebody who is offended or disappointed in some ways, and I just think this is why it's so important 
that we take to heart Jesus' command to love one another, because uh, we're going to need ample measures of love and grace as we move towards reopening. And uh, anyway, I would covet your prayers. Uh, so anyway, if you ever have questions, you can always email me. My email is just my last name, jernigan at jvillepres.org. Uh, if you don't find it, uh, if you don't see it on the screen, you can just go on our website, jvillepres.org, and go to the staff page, and you can find my contact. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, but what we're going to do tonight as we uh, dive into forgive us our debts, I do have some trivia, but it's going to be of a different kind. And uh, what I want you to do is... Um, I'm going to have you guess who you think the biggest spiritual influence in my life has been. Uh, and it has to be somebody that's dead, not somebody living or I'm related to. And so if you're on YouTube right now, you can try to give some answers. And, uh, you know, um, I'll, I'll rule some people out right now. So it's not Tim Keller, although he's up there. He is still living. So I'm going to rule Tim Keller out. Uh, I'm going to rule out John Calvin. He would be in the top five. Um, I'm even going to probably rule out St. Augustine uh, or St. Augustine, however you pronounce it. I would rule out Augustine uh, because um, this one guy has had an enormous impact for years and years on a lot of levels. Um, and I'll give you a hint. He's, an old, he's dead. And the next hint I'm going to give you is that he's German. Okay, so I'm looking for an old German dead guy who loves Jesus uh, as my biggest spiritual influence. So if you've got an idea, write it out in the YouTube live stream on the, on the comment section, and uh, I'll give you more hints. It is probably not who you're thinking of. It is not Martin Luther, uh, as much as I do love that old German reformer. It's not Martin Luther. Um, I'll give you some more hints, see if you can figure it out. Uh, he died uh, when he was 39. Uh, so my, you know, the biggest spiritual influence died when he was 39. At the time of his death, he was engaged. He obviously never got to be married uh, to his fiancée. Uh, he is famous all over the world because he was a pastor who led an underground seminary training uh, pastors uh, in a church that um, opposed the Nazi party. And he was famously put to death in a concentration camp after having been discovered to be part of a plot to assassinate Hitler. All right, so if that doesn't give it away, you're not going to figure it out because he has a super German-sounding name. Uh, his, I, I wish we could name Oaks after him, but I don't think I could have done that to Oaks. Uh, the biggest guy is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, there's a great biography about him by Eric Metaxas that I would encourage you to read. And uh, if you happened to have gotten that right, um, I'm going to be sending you, uh, we'll find out who you are, if you will say your name, and I'm going to send you a copy of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's sort of magnum opus, his greatest book called The Cost of Discipleship. It's one of the best-selling books on uh, Christian discipleship in the last hundred years. Um, I've read it multiple times, uh, read it right as soon as I became a Christian, and uh, you know, there are just sentences in this book that are just seared into my memory probably forever. Uh, so hopefully you know uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, and hopefully you'll be blessed by that book. Um, but before we, you know, take that next step, I do want to ask, um, you know, for you to reflect on who has been the biggest spiritual influence in your walk with the Lord. You know, who comes to mind for you? Well, the reason I'm asking that is because, um, you know, when I think about Bonhoeffer, 
Um, part of what makes him so compelling to me is that he just loves Jesus and he is going to give everything he has in all of his writings and all the way that he lived his life for the glory and for the name of Jesus Christ in the face of a lot of rejection. And um, famously, uh, he was you know, put into a concentration camp at the end of his life in Flossenburg, uh, where he would later die. And uh, anyway, uh, while he was um, in the concentration camp for the last few months of Bonhoeffer's life, he was able to smuggle out some letters. Uh, there's a book called The Letters of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which you can buy and read some of these letters that people have kept over the years. But uh, towards the end of his life, uh, Bonhoeffer wrote these words in one of his letters. Uh, Bonhoeffer wrote to his friend and said, please don't ever get anxious or worried about me. I'm so sure of God's guiding hand that I hope I shall always be kept in that certainty. You must never doubt that I'm traveling with gratitude and cheerfulness along the road where I'm being led. My past life is brimful of God's goodness and my sins are covered by the forgiving love of Christ crucified. And friends, I mean, that is a man in a concentration camp. That is a man who is about to be uh, killed by the Nazis. And he is able to say, my life is brimful of God's goodness and my sins are covered by the forgiving love of Christ crucified. You know, when I think about Bonhoeffer saying that, it, you know, it, it, it strikes me how utterly convinced Bonhoeffer was that no matter how sinful he was, no matter how big his debt of sin was, that his record of debt was completely forgiven. Um, you know, what does he say? He says, my life is brimful of God's goodness because my sins are covered by the forgiving love of Jesus Christ. Um, I mean, and really that's what we're talking about tonight. When we pray um, in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts. Uh, we are at the very heart of the gospel message. This idea that God forgives all of our sins completely. Uh, he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Um, our record of sin, he nails it to the cross. Um, as the old hymn says, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is what? Is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Uh, friends, that is the heart of the gospel. That's why you love that song. That's why it rings so true. Uh, you know, I mean, this is what Peter says in Acts 2.38 when he's proclaiming the gospel as soon as the Holy Spirit has fallen on the apostles. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And it's Acts 2.32. You know, forgiveness, uh, being reconciled to God, never having to fear his judgment ever again. I mean, it is the most freeing, life-changing thing that can ever happen to somebody. I mean, that's the mission of Jesus Christ, to reconcile sinful people like me and like Bonhoeffer and like Peter uh, to a holy God who loves them. And remember, you know, what does Peter say? Depart from me. I am a man of, I'm a sinful man, right? 
And uh, so when we think about forgiveness, um, Jesus is going to have a lot to say. And so tonight we're actually going to take this concept of forgiveness and we're only going to take the first part this week. Forgive us our debts. And then next week we're going to look at where he says, um, as uh, we forgive those who um, are our debtors. You know, so there's um, a lot to forgiveness. We're not going to say everything tonight. We're just going to focus on the first half. Forgive us our debts. And uh, what I want us to, to dive right in first off the bat is... Um, you know, I, you know, it's been said before, it's an old preacher saying, but, um, you know, it's easy to memorize and it's important to remember. You know, you've probably heard me say this before and other pastors, you know, but um, it's very true that, you know, hurt people hurt people, right? People who are hurt, they turn around, and they hurt other people, right? And broken people break people. You know, that's sort of the, the downside of sin, right? But the beautiful uh, good news of the gospel, right, is loved people do what? <laughs> they love people. And forgiven people forgive people, right? Yeah, hurt people may hurt people, but the good news of the gospel is that forgiven people forgive people, right? And this is all tied into what Jesus is saying, right? We uh, ask God to forgive our debts, and so we forgive our debtors. And uh, Jesus says uh, later on in Matthew, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, he goes on, he says, if you don't forgive one another, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. Uh, so remember, forgiveness is huge. It is crucial. It's not something that we as Christians can get wrong. Um, so let's dive in about this sentence, you know, this almost half sentence, forgive us our debts. Uh, I'm going to give us like four questions that I hope you can chew on. And these kind of help you understand um, and see the beautiful depth of that phrase, forgive us our debts. So the first thing right off the bat is we have to settle an age-old dispute, which is, uh, should we be praying, forgive us our debts, or should we be praying, forgive us our trespasses? Uh, if you've ever been to a church like ours where they say the Lord's Prayer out loud, you know, um, uh, first off, if you've never spoken out loud in a church service with like a call to worship or the Lord's Prayer, um, it can be very unnerving to hear a bunch of people saying something out loud or praying out loud, uh, you know, but I think it's actually really beautiful and important for the church to pray the Lord's Prayer regularly. And, uh, the, but the awkward part, of course, right, is if you've grown up in a tradition that says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, right? And, um, you know, so if you say trespasses, it's always nerve-wracking because you don't want to say it wrong, and then you don't want to be saying something wrong while everyone else is saying debts. You know, you hear that kind of echo, right? Uh, but so which is it? You know, should we say debts or trespasses? Um, or is there even, like, what's the big deal? Debts, trespasses, it's just a matter of translation, right? Well, um, a lot of times that's probably true that you know, different words in English can refer to the same thing. But um, I actually think it's really important uh, for us to say, forgive us our debts and not trespasses. Um, so let me kind of make that case and then let me see if I've convinced you by the end of it. All right, so number one, the reason I think you and I should say, forgive us our debts instead of forgive us our trespasses is because the word debt is the word that Jesus uses in Matthew 6 in the Lord's Prayer. Um, there is a different Greek word. Uh, the original word for debts is different than the word for trespasses. And this is clearly demonstrated in the King James and in the English Standard Version. Because if you look in Matthew chapter 6, it'll say, forgive us our debts. And then in, I think, verses 13 and 14, it'll say the word trespasses. And those are two different Greek words. 
But when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, we're supposed to say debts. That's the word in the prayer. Um, so first of all, that would be the first reason is because debt is the better translation of the word. Uh, and secondly, I think it's really theologically important for you and I to understand that our sin is a debt and not just a trespass. All right, so a trespass is a sin, and when we sin, we do trespass, which just means we overstep, right? That's a trespass. It, it literally means a false step, right? So when you and I sin, you know, you, you can understand that we've overstepped the line. God makes a line. We step over the line. But the problem of just understanding sin as just a trespass and not the bigger issue of a debt uh, comes down to this. Um, if you and I just are trespassing, well, as soon as we stop trespassing, it's sort of like no blood, no foul. But if I incur a debt, even if I stop and turn around, that doesn't negate the debt. Uh, let me use uh, an illustration that maybe helps you understand the difference, okay? So remember back in life when we used to be able to do things like fly, um, <laughs> on airplanes. Um, I love this. Maybe I never have to fly ever again. Who knows? That would be a, a big relief to me to know I don't have to fly anymore. But uh, if you've ever flown, you'll know that there is a common experience to anybody who's flying, right? Which is you get your ticket, you look at your ticket, or maybe it's in your app, right? And it'll say something like C32. And no matter how much you look at C32, some re for some reason, the way that they set out the chairs in the airplane, right, in the seats, you're never like 100% sure that you're going to get to C32. Like maybe you're on the wrong side of the plane, and so you walk to your seat, and you finally come to C32, and, you know, what's the big fear? Someone's in your seat, and then you got to say something, and then maybe you're wrong, and then everyone's going to watch you, right? Um, or you find your seat, and then the person sitting next to you, there's that awkward kind of like, you're sitting in my seat, and then you have to explain to them, no, you're not, or maybe you are. Uh, but all that to say, um, in that kind of awkward moment, imagine you come to your seat, C32, and guess what? Someone is in your seat. And you look down and you say, hey, oh, I'm, you know, actually, I think you're in my seat. And they'll say, no, I, no, I've got B, you know, 32, I'm in the right seat. And you say, oh, no, look, here's the C, this is C, you know, you're, you're one seat off. And they go, oh, I totally understand, my apologies, they move over, right? Well, in that sense, that person has trespassed. They've literally stepped over the line, right? They're in the wrong seat. But as soon as they get back into the right seat, you know, no blood, no foul. The trespass is gone, you know, nothing to be done about it. It's, it's over, right? Now, that would be a trespass. Now, imagine this scenario. Someone is seated in your seat, C32. You walk up to them and you say, hey, oh, I'm sorry. You know, you're in my seat. You know, I think you're, you know, in the chair, you're in the seat next to mine. And then they raise their voice and they start yelling at you, and they say, you're crazy, stop threatening me. <laughs> and then, in, you know, there's a whole commotion. You, you start raising your voice, and before you know it, instead of taking your flight to Honolulu for vacation, the uh, flight attendant has removed you for being a threat. <laughs> and they kick you off the airplane, and you're sitting in the airport watching the, the, the plane go away. And you would say, hmm, 
that person has incurred a debt. <laughs> um, an apology is not going to go far enough. And even if they move over halfway through the flight, that doesn't really solve the problem. Well, I mean, obviously, this is an overblown illustration, all right? But in the first one, you understand a trespass can be is easily removed, but a debt lingers, and just acknowledging it isn't going to be enough. Something's got to happen to make it right. And so uh, when you and I think about our sin, um, we incur a debt. There has to be some just payment for it. No amount of just sort of pleading um, or, you know, acknowledging our mistakes is going to make up for it. Something has to give. Payment has to be made. And really, friends, that's at the heart of the gospel, is that you and I have incurred a debt that we cannot pay back. I mean, Jesus is all over this uh, when he's telling his parables. You know, um, and this sort of leads us into our second question, right? Which is, how then are our debts forgiven? How is our debt of sin forgiven? Well, when Jesus is trying to explain to us that um, our sins aren't just, you know, like misunderstandings, like we often want to say they are, but instead debts. Uh, Jesus will tell parables like in Matthew 18, where he talks about how um, the gospel of the kingdom is kind of like a man who is, um, you know, in a gazillion dollars worth of debt. You know, Jesus uses sort of a made-up number. It's like a gazillion, right? Um, it's an inordinate, you know, an impossible sum of money. And so the man goes to a king who he owes the money to, and he says, will you please forgive me? Don't throw me in jail. And the king, of course, forgives him. But the forgiven servant turns around, and if you know the story, he won't forgive his fellow servant a small sum of money and instead turns around and throws his servant, his fellow servant, into jail. And of course, the king finds out about it, and he says, I forgave you this huge debt which you could never pay back. Should you not have had mercy on the person who only had this much debt against you? So the king ends up throwing that first servant into prison, right? And Jesus' point of the parable is, of course, you and I, we're like the servants with an incredible debt. All of our sin incurs a debt to the just God. And how can we pay it? We can't. Um, you know, no amount of crying or tears could ever atone. <laughs> you know, as the old hymn, Rock of Ages, will say, um, how are we going to pay back this debt? Well, the amazing, you know, beauty of the gospel uh, is that Jesus, you know, God's son, uh, God in the flesh, enters our world and he pays the penalty for us. I mean, this is what Colossians teaches, right? Listen to how Colossians, uh, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, uh, puts it. Paul says, when you, you, when you and I were dead in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. You see, what Paul is simply saying is um, our ability to pay back the debt is not in our ability to do good works. It is in Jesus taking the punishment for us. And well, we have to receive this by faith. I mean, Paul goes on uh, later on in uh, Galatians chapter 2, and he says it this way. He says, we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. 
and we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we've obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Now, that's the New Living Translation of Galatians 2. And, you know, all Paul is trying to explain is that none of us can be good enough. Uh, None of us can be good enough to wipe away all of the debt. Uh, The debt, you know, as in Matthew 18, it's insurmountable. Um, We are sinning against a holy and righteous God, and we do it every day. Even the most righteous of us, you know, when we meet God, we say we are sinful people. We have unclean lips. Um, So understanding our debt um, is, is paramount to a life of humility before God. Um, it's, we do trespass, but it's more than that. We have a debt towards God. But the beauty of the gospel is Jesus pays the debt for us. That's what he's doing on the cross. This is what he nails to the cross, and we bear it no more. Right? So, and the way we access that forgiveness is by faith alone. It's not by doing works of the law or obeying the law, because no one could do that perfectly or, or good enough. And, um, if you think you can, you know, you're simply not trying hard enough. You're probably committing a sin right now called pride, right? So um, that's, you know, how we, you know, receive this forgiveness of our debts. Um, you know, but um, that does kind of bring up sort of a fun, uh, kind of interesting question, which is if we're trying to be, uh, you know, believers and we're praying uh, that God would forgive us our debts and uh, we want to turn around and be forgiving towards others, Uh, What I'm suggesting to you is part of the understanding is knowing that we have a huge debt and God has forgiven it. So who am I to hold debts against anybody else? And um, I I want to be forgiven in Christ Jesus. That's the heart of a believer. But this now brings up a kind of a, a point that many of us are quick to forget about, which is, you know, when we pray that three times a day, when we're praying about forgiving you know, Lord, forgive us our debts, forgive the things that I've done wrong, you know, and as you think about the people that you have wronged or uh, the people that you've offended or maligned or lied about or the wrong things you have done, a Christian will start to feel the conviction of sin. And what I mean by that is you and I will quickly remember um, and realize that um, is praying really enough? which is sort of my third question, is praying really enough? And what I mean by that is, if I know that I've wronged somebody, and I'm praying, God, forgive me for wronging this brother or sister or my neighbor. Please forgive me. Will I leave it at that? Or will a Christian turn around and say, I need to do some kind of restitution with this person? Um, I can't just say, you know, I've done this thing that's wrong, and I've done this thing, and God forgive me, and like, you know, never address the problem with other people. Um, think about it this way, you know, if, um, you know, if I, you know, see you when you come back to church in June, and I see you, and you're like, oh, I'm so happy to see you, and you try to hug me, and I'm like, whatever, and I slap you in the face, and I, you know, turn around, I say, you know, leave me alone, right? Well, Maybe later that night, I would go home and say, oh, you know, dear Lord, please forgive me for slapping that beloved brother or sister in the face. Thank you that you have totally forgiven me. Great. (laughs) In that situation, have I done everything that needs to be done? Or 
even though I've asked God to forgive me, do I still owe you some kind of an apology? And do I owe you potentially some kind of restitution? Well, of course, I think you get what I'm suggesting, right? And that is, is, is praying and confessing our sins enough, or do we need to do that? And as far as we are able to be at peace with one another and exhibit repentance, not just in our prayer life, but in our actions and deeds. Um, I think the answer is that as far as we are able, if we know we have wronged one another, we are called to make peace with one another. And um, as John the Baptist will say, bear fruit. Keeping in, rep- in keeping in repentance, right? Um, demonstrate repentance in your life. Um, and I'll, I'll make a scriptural argument for why I think this is so. Uh, you may remember a few weeks ago, I talked about Zacchaeus, uh, you know, the wee little man, and the wee little man was he. Now Zacchaeus, you know, he, uh, he appears in the uh, gospel of Luke. Uh, I think Luke 17, let me see my notes. Yeah, Luke 17, I believe, uh, Zacchaeus shows up and, you know, he's stolen from all of these people. He's this awful tax collector. He's taken way more money than he ever should for years and years and years. And he hears about Jesus and he wants to have faith in him. And Jesus says that salvation comes to Zacchaeus by the end of the story. But what's interesting about Zacchaeus's story is even though he believes in Jesus and Jesus says he's saved, Zacchaeus says something incredibly important for us when we think about uh, this need to exhibit repentance. Zacchaeus goes on and he says this, this is Luke uh, 17, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. You see, what Zacchaeus is saying right there is um, part of knowing that God has forgiven him, uh, part of knowing the acceptance of Jesus Christ is rejoicing that our sins are forgiven, that we are saved forever. But that demonstrates itself in acts of repentance in our life, uh, where for Zacchaeus, he was like, look, if I've wronged anybody, I need to pay him back. I'm going to pay him back four times what I stole from them. And uh, is Zacchaeus earning his forgiveness from God? No, of course he's not earning his forgiveness from God. He's demonstrating that he knows his forgiveness is from God. You know, think about it this way. Um, Hurt people may hurt people, right? But forgiven people forgive people. And people who have their debt forgiven forgive other people their debts. And if I'm praying, God, forgive me for the debts that I have incurred, there's going to be a marked difference in the way that I repent and apologize to the people that I've hurt, right? I'm not doing it to earn my salvation. I'm doing it because of my salvation. So as you and I pray the Lord's Prayer, and as you really dive into it and you think about it, you say, Lord, forgive me for my debts, um, there may come, you know, things that you've said, things that you've done, things that I've said or done, or people that I've wronged that come to mind. And I need to say, Lord, please forgive me for what I did in this situation to this person during this time of my life. And I know that Jesus is going to forgive me because he is good. But I'm not going to just leave it there. I need to think through and say, is there any way that I need to pay back somebody fourfold? 
for what I've done. Um, you know, I, I'll give you an illustration. Years ago, um, a beloved friend of mine uh, who went to church with me years ago, you don't know him, years ago, they came to me and they said, you know, I've been, you know, <laughs> taking payment for my business under the table. And I, want, and I want to know, am I supposed to pay taxes? You know, what would God have me do? And I said, yes, Romans 13 specifically says, you know, pay your taxes. Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. You know, we are obligated. And they asked me then, well, you know, I'm not just taking payment under the table and not claiming it. I've been doing it for over 30 years. You know, what should I do then? Well, I'll leave it up to you what you think in light of forgive us our debts that person should do. But um, I think I know what Zacchaeus would tell this person to do. Let me just finish up now with sort of one fourth and final question as we pray, uh, you know, forgive us our debts. And I'm sure uh, you've probably heard me say something similar uh, in previous weeks, but I think this comes out in the text. And it's simply this, that Jesus again calls his people um, calls you and me when, when we are praying to not just pray for ourselves as individuals. Um, think about it this way. The fourth and final question is it, are we supposed to pray, forgive us our debts or is it forgive my debts, right? Is the emphasis on our plural or my singular? Well, I would say obviously we're supposed to pray that God would forgive our sins as individuals, but notice that Jesus teaches us, even in the quiet, when we go by ourselves in our closets and we don't pray on street corners, when we're by ourselves, even in the Lord's Prayer, even on the topic of forgiveness, Jesus is teaching you and me to keep the whole body of Christ in mind. That when we pray for the forgiveness of sins, we say, Lord, forgive me for my sins, the way that I've done things wrong. Um, if there's acts of restitution or repentance that I need to make, make it clear to me. Um, I want to be forgiven. I thank you that I have been forgiven and I want to demonstrate repentance in my life. But then as believers, we take it that next step and we say, don't just forgive my sins, forgive our sins. And what in the world would that look like to pray that way? And um, I've thought about that question a lot. And there are two passages that are intriguing to me that I think could start to shed light on what it would look like for you and me in our prayer times, even as individuals, to pray on behalf of the whole body of Christ uh, or maybe more people than just ourselves. Now, the first one is when you read Job, uh, the very beginning of Job. Uh, if you've read the book of Job, it's the Old Testament um, you know, the, the author of Job at the very beginning is really just trying to establish that Job is a really moral guy. He's a good guy. He's not really doing anything wrong. But the beginning of Job says something very fascinating about Job. Uh, it says um, in verse 4, it says, His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each other on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters. So it's just establishing that Job had many sons and daughters. They enjoyed company with one another. But verse 5 goes on and it says this, And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. That is all of his children. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually 
And I don't want to push that any further than I think the author of Job would want me to. But what we see in the person of Job is even when he is making burnt offerings and confessing his sins, he is also keeping in mind his whole family, even his sons and daughters. And what he's able to say is, Lord, forgive us all of our sins. Lord, be merciful. Forgive us our debts, even the debts of my sons and daughters, even if they forget to confess their sins. Lord, have mercy. Forgive us our debts. So that's the first kind of intriguing passage, Job 1. The other one is also in the Old Testament, and it's in the book of Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah uh, prays this. He's heard that Jerusalem has been destroyed. Um, He is heartbroken. And famously, uh, Nehemiah begins, he says, O Lord God, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant, uh, you know, please have mercy on us. And then he goes down in verse 6, and he says, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear your prayer, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded. And then he says, Have mercy on us. Uh, So both Job and Nehemiah, when they do confessions of sin and they ask for repentance, um, they don't see themselves purely as just individuals all by themselves. They would see themselves as individuals who are part of the people of God. And even when they're praying by themselves, and even when Job is rising early in the morning by himself and none of his kids are around, he's keeping in mind that God needs to be merciful to all of us. And, um, you know, you, you, you can't confess Christ for your kids. I know that, and I'm not suggesting that. Uh, but maybe for you and I during this time when we're apart, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, um, be thinking about our local church. Pray that God would forgive our sins as a congregation, um, that the ways that we fail to obey him and to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength as a church, that he would forgive that, uh, that he would forgive our lackluster worship, uh, that we have not worshiped him in spirit and in truth. Um, these are the things that we can be praying for. Lord, forgive us. Uh, Lord, forgive our debts. And God is quick and wants to forgive. Uh, if you're in a family, Lord, you can pray, Lord, forgive my family's sins. Um, I think that's closer to the heart of what Jesus is getting at, right? Is yes on the individual, but also this corporate understanding where um, you and I could be praying for our church even now for one another as a body of Christ. And of course, um, I would extend that up to the church, right? Of which our church is just a tiny little nose hair of the body of Christ, right? Uh, we need to be praying that Lord would forgive our debt of sin. And the beautiful thing is, is in Christ, he does. He does. Um, so if you don't know how to be reconciled to God, if you don't know that you can know for sure that you can be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus, email me, get in touch. I would love to talk to you about a life of following Jesus Christ. And if you are a believer, uh, remember this. He is quick and just and able to forgive all of our sins. And he longs to hear our confessions. Uh, He longs for us to be humble people and to forgive those around us.
So we'll pick up this theme of uh, forgiveness next week when we see how our forgiveness flows through us uh, to forgiving other people. Uh, Love you guys. Can't wait to worship with you soon. Please be praying for us, and uh, hopefully we'll worship together in June. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, would you forgive our debts? Lord, for everybody who's tuned in right now, uh, all the sins that we see and the sins that we don't see, uh, the sins that we have done and the things that we have left undone, uh, the sins as a church, Lord, please forgive us our debts. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Uh, Give us um, the desire to worship you in spirit and in truth and humility. Thank you that you uh, nailed the record of debt of our sin on the cross and we bear it no more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Friends, we love you. See you soon.